Welcome everyone to the New Retina Radio Journal Club with the Vitbuckle Society of VBS. I'm your moderator, Yoshi Yonekawa from Will's Eye Hospital in Philadelphia. Today, we're very lucky to be joined by three retina specialists from VBS, and we're going to be going in reverse alphabetical order. First, Paula Pison from Carolina Eye Associates, Greensboro, North Carolina. Thanks for joining us again. Hi, Yoshi. Thanks for having me. And second, we have Dr. Ajay Kurian from Will's Eye Hospital and Mid-Atlantic Retina in Philadelphia, one of my partners in crime. Welcome back to the podcast, Ajay. Thanks for having me, Yoshi. And finally, we have Dr. John Chang from University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health in Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome, John. Hi, Yoshi. Thanks for having me today. All right, so let's get rolling. So the goal of today's journal club, uh, it's a little bit different this time. It's a brief, it's to initially briefly summarize a pair of journal articles on a similar topic of bacterial dispersion under different masking situations. It's a very timely topic, given that uh, we're all where physicians and patients are masked in clinic now during this pandemic. And number two, we're going to have a good panel discussion about the papers. And this is also a very special journal club today because we have both of the principal investigators for the two papers. So the first paper, the title is Bacterial Dispersion Associated with Various Patient Face Mask Designs During Simulated Intravitreal Injections. And Samir Patel was the lead author and Ajay Kurian was the PI and the corresponding author. And the paper was published last year in October, 2020 in American Journal of Ophthalmology, AJO. And the second paper, the title is Face Masks and Bacterial Dispersion Towards the Periocular Area. And Joseph Ravis was the lead author and our very own John Chang was the corresponding. And this paper was published this year, January, 2021 in Ophthalmology uh, as a brief report. So let's kick, kick it over to Ajay first. Can you tell us the, the inspiration you had behind this paper and to summarize the methodology and the main results? Thanks, Yoshi. Um, so very early during the COVID pandemic, I was on call and I had a patient who developed uh, post-injection anathematis and it was an oral bug. And I remember being very perplexed at first because we were all doing universal masking. And so I didn't really expect an oral bug to be growing from, from our patients who are developing anathematis. Um, at the same time, I was battling the fogging that I think anybody with glasses uh, during the pandemic uh, had to deal with initially. And so started wondering whether there was something that was going on where we were potentially driving some bacteria towards the eye and our patients were wearing masks. And especially given how differently people wore masks um, and the different types of masks that were out there, we decided to basically do a comparison of masks, um, of different types of masks, how they're worn, and also with talking or no talking scenarios, essentially trying to replicate the Colin McCannell study that showed us that, that potentially there's some dispersion of uh, bacteria during talking scenarios. And so we essentially had the patients or uh, simulated patients um, lean back in their um, examination chair. We taped a culture plate on their forehead to try to detect the dispersion of the bacteria towards the eye. And we measured the uh, number of colony forming units that would grow on these culture plates after two minutes of silence or reading a script to simulate talking. Um, we looked at a few different mask um, situations. So we did no mask. Uh, we did a loose fitting surgical mask, a tight fitting surgical mask without tape, a tight fitting surgical mask with tape, an N95 mask and a cloth mask. And what we essentially found was that in the no talking scenario, there was a higher amount of the colony forming units that were grown with the tight mask without tape 
or um, no mask. Um, and then when we compared that to the no talking scenario, we found that there was essentially um, a higher amount of uh, bacteria that was, oh, sorry, when we compared that with the talking scenario, we found that there was a higher amount of bacteria that was grown without a mask um, or with the same loose mask um, without, the, without the tape. And this is very different compared to the N95 mask or the, the tight-fitting mask with tape in which we didn't see a large number of colony forming units in either scenario. And so it really underscored um, the importance of potentially putting the tape over the top of the mask to decrease that bacterial spread, even though it is uh, not necessarily proven in a clinical scenario and more just in an in vitro scenario here. Got it. Thank you, Ajay, for the great summary. So Paula, can you tell us your immediate reaction when you read this paper? Did Ajay do a good job or should the editors have rejected his paper? So I do want to say and commend both Ajay and John for both of their papers and masking and looking at the bacterial dispersion with intravitreal injections, because I thought these were both very thoughtfully um, put together simulations with masking and intravitreal injections during the COVID pandemic and doing these papers are difficult in these um, in this current situation in this landscape. With um, Ajay's paper, you know, I thought that it seemed um, somewhat logical that you know the, the findings seemed you know the accounting the difference for the taped versus not taped, where a non-taped mask would basically just direct air towards the injection area, and the taped mask would also direct air more away from the injection area. And that also probably also logically accounts for the similarities in the taped mask versus the N95. Because I think the N95 is basically containing all of the dispersed oral or um, bacterial aerosolization, um, whereas the taped mask is basically directing everything away from the injection area. And so I think uh, these are important findings, although since the rates of N-alpha-mitis are so infrequent, which is obviously a good thing. It's really hard for me to see if there's always going to be a significant, clinically significant benefit or correlation based on these simulations. Great. Thank you, Paula. Uh, let's move on to the second paper now. John, can you tell us about the story behind your paper and the main methodology and results? Yeah, thanks, Yoshi. So I think, you know, just like Ajay had mentioned, during the beginning of the pandemic, when everyone's wearing masks, we all really noticed in our group here that when you're examining patients, a lot of the lenses were fogging up, you know, a lot of air was directed up towards the eyes. And kind of question, what does that mean for us doing our injections? And in fact, I think even, you know, as you're doing an injection, you almost feel like there's something kind of directed up in that direction. And so that, that was the inspiration for our for our study. And I'm fortunate that I, I had a pretty good team here, my fellow um, Jamie Ravis, um, really took the lead here in kind of helping to design the study in terms of figuring out sample size and coordinating all our subjects. And so we looked at five different groups, or sorry, we looked at, looked at five different groups. We had a control group, which was just the plates in the air. So we didn't actually have any breathing or people around. It was just plates to expose to the room air. Then there was a no mask, which is the patient with no mask. And we tried to encourage the patient, or the subject, excuse me, to talk for two minutes. Then we had the mask worn inappropriately because we did see a lot of people wearing masks inappropriately. So it was kind of below the nose. And, you know, that just anecdotally too, you 
come into a room with a patient and they were, would say, oh, you know, I'm so tired of wearing this thing and have it, you know, low or under their chin or something. So we were kind of curious, you know, did that have an impact? Because some patients also would ask, could I take this off during, or could I, you know, kind of adjust it during the procedure itself? And then we had the mask worn properly. And then we also put tape on the top of the mask. And in this case, we chose to use the uh, mask that kind of loops around the ear as a standard style. And, um, and so what we found was that there were significant differences in masks being taped as compared to being worn inappropriately, if the mask was worn appropriately or not appropriately, and then also differences if the mask was taped and then all other, other groups. While there was an improvement or reduction in bacterial growth with the taped mask, it wasn't enough to be significant. And most likely that's, we kind of just expected our culture rate to be a little bit higher um, overall when we designed the study. And so we were finding that unfortunately the culture yield was a little bit lower, you know, per plate, um, per subject, just with all conditions. And so that's why that, I, that's what I suspect is why we did not find um, true significance there. The difficulty is once you have the results, you can't really go back and you know, try to repurpose things. And actually our other thought was, well, should we repeat the study? But the, the challenge there was actually the pandemic was getting worse. So kind of the idea of having all these people in a room, you know, kind of early on in Wisconsin, um, the rates were pretty low. So I think getting away with having this room where people are breathing without masks and things was a lot easier to kind of maybe, maybe tolerate. Whereas later on, it became more of a concern. And I don't think we, repeating it would have necessarily ensured the same result or, you know, the result that we wanted. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty um, proud of our, our group and how we were able to execute things and really happy for the support of our department, which helped fund the study. But, um, you know, that's, that's one tough thing about science. Sometimes the results don't quite follow what you would expect. So. Got it. Awesome. Thank you, John, for that really nice summary of your, uh, of your paper. So Paula, what did you think of John's paper? What did you find interesting? Well, with John's paper, I did appreciate that, um, you know, he did look at the patients that were inappropriately wearing the mask. It was something that is unfortunately not too uncommon in my clinic and not too uncommon with, uh, you know, the patients that are getting the injections as well or doing, uh, you know, like a, in a, a fundus exam. With the type of mask though, I do tend to see a bit more of my patients wearing the, um, the ear loop masks as opposed to the tie-on surgical masks studied by Ajay. And so I wonder if the clinical applicability is a bit more um, kind of widespread with John's study only because I, I think fewer patients, especially because I tend to see a bit more of an older population can handle tying on that surgical mask. And then I wonder if when you tie on a surgical mask, are you kind of influencing the directionality of where um, bacterial dispersion is occurring? Whereas most of the um, ear loop masks sort of have a standardized um, proportionality um, in terms of how you um, put that sort of um, metal piece over your nose and then direct that. So I think with um, the also, the number of participants was slightly increased in John's study with 54 participants as opposed to 15 in Ajay's study. And so I think, you know, the numbers still say that, you know, taping tended to be better, but, you know, obviously still wearing an appropriately um, positioned face mask is better than inappropriate face mask wear or not wearing a mask at all. 
it's like. Um, actually, John, I did have a, a question. In the patients that uh, didn't have a mask when you were studying them, did you require any COVID testing prior to enrollment in your study or was that not an issue? No, we didn't. So our, um, the, the person holding the plates, um, these, you know, investigator or coordinator who was holding the plates was wearing an N95. So we just chose to deviate that way. And because we weren't collecting any kind of subject data, then we had IRB exemption as well. And I actually forgot to mention that we did also do the Schlieren imaging. So Schlieren imaging is an interesting photographic technique that looks at, you know, kind of how airflow is directed um, against essentially the, it's a photograph taken with a mirror on the side and then the airflow movements is captured. And so I think those images also help to show that yeah, taping the mask did reduce at least airflow overall. So even if our colony count wasn't, um, wasn't um, quantitatively significant, there was clearly a qualitative improvement by taping the masks. Awesome, thank you, Paul and John. Uh, we're gonna be right back after a quick break. And when we return, we'll be talking about both of these papers uh, more in detail and finding out what Paula, Ajay, and John do in their own clinics. And also Judge Paula Peason is going to give us a number rating of each paper <laughs> out of 10 points. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the New Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. I'm Yoshi Onikawa here with John Chang, Ajay Kurian, and Paula Pison. And we're going to discuss the papers we heard about in the first half. But before that, uh, Professor Paula Pison, you've had a little time now during the break to think about this. Out of 10, how many points do you give Ajay's paper? I would have to give him, he really stuck the landing on this. I feel like he, um, I would say at least a 9.7. <laughs> okay, not bad. Not bad. Okay, I agree. And what about John's paper out of 10? Drum roll, please. He really, you know, I think the Schlieren imaging really brought the sexiness to his paper. He really taped that mask really well. I think he wore it better, and I'm going to give him a 9.9. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very nice. But John with the better taping and sexy paper. <laughs> I do appreciate that there were slightly more participants in John's paper and the Schlieren imaging somewhat um, brought uh, like a scientific aspect to actually sort of um, bolster what we were logically thinking about was the cause of increased possibly bacterial dispersion towards the eye. But with Aji, I did appreciate like looking at different um, ways of taping the masks and also cloth masks compared to surgical masks because I would say over 50% of my patients are wearing actually cloth masks in, in clinic. Okay, got it. Yep. So can you, uh, just because there was a lot of data for both of the papers, can you, uh, Paula, give us a quick recap of just the overall big picture main findings of the papers and if there were any differences or discrepancies? Um, yeah, so I think basically looking at these two papers, mass versus no mass in patients receiving intravitreal injections and simulations and different types of simulations, Basically, masks tended to, properly wearing a mask tended to be better, or taping a mask tended to be better than not wearing a mask or um, inappropriately wearing a mask. Although the findings were a bit more um, significant in Ajay's paper than in John's paper, though the trend was in that same direction in John's paper. Uh, while Ajay had some, um, 
patients wearing a looser fitting mask as opposed to a tightly fitting mask and also N95 masks and cloth masks. John additionally looked at patients where, who were inappropriately wearing the mask and wearing that only over the mouth instead of over the nose, but then added um, the Schlieren imaging to his paper to somewhat bolster some of the um, scientific aspect of the uh, bacterial dispersion of particles coming out of the um, nose and mouth area as well. Okay, great. So John and Ajay, Enophthalmitis is a topic dear to both of your hearts. You both uh, trained in Miami with Harry, and you know uh, it's something that you both think about all the time. What were your your reactions when each other's papers came out? You know, you're looking at very similar things, but approached it a little bit differently. I first heard about Ajay's paper in Dr. Haller's um, lecture at Academy in November, and I think right at that time we had like just submitted the manuscript. And so the first thing I thought was, oh, no. <laughs> and then the second thing I thought was, well, if Ajay's on the track, on track, then we must have a good idea because, you know, clearly like this is something on a lot of people's minds and, um, you know, certainly very um, prominent during the pandemic. So, you know, those are probably the, the two thoughts that went through my head. That's great. Ajay, what about you? So the first thing I did was remember that I did my second tap and inject ever with John Chang as my third year resident. So, <laughs> um, but um, it was it was great reading John's paper because actually our our numbers were pretty similar for our colony um, forming units, and so it was nice to have some degree of verification. Um, I thought his Schlieren imaging was like a super nice addition to visualize what was going on, and so that was really nice too. Um, yeah, I thought it was it was great. I think a lot of people had the same concerns. And I think uh, well before uh, either paper came out, a lot of the practices were already starting to tape mass. Um, and you know, like we were talking about before, we still don't know the exact clinical relevance, but it's just such an easy thing to do. Got it. So uh, Ajay, you know, you were start alluding to this, some of the limitations of the current studies. And if you were to design future studies, uh, how would you how would you do so? So we thought about looking at this clinically to see if we can see a difference um, between taped versus non-taped, but it's so hard to get the granular details of when each practice started implementing tape for the ones that, that have started taping. Um, and there's so much variation in the mask wear that we ultimately decided that it's just gonna be really hard to, to actually look at in a clinical um, scenario. And that's further compounded by just the rarity of endophthalmitis, thank goodness. Um, but so I don't know if we can if we can replicate this clinically, but I think that that would definitely be something that that would be a great thing to do if we can figure out the methodology to do that. Hey John, thoughts on your end? Yeah, I really appreciated in Andre's paper too that you know they were able to culture and look to look specifically at oral flora, you know, which I thought I thought was really helpful as well. But it is going to be hard to see the clinical application. You know, there, there are a number of areas, for example, we didn't put betadine on the plates, right? So, you know, you're going to, you know, even if there's air being directed towards the ocular surface, typically, if you're going to give an injection, you'll give, you know, a drop of betadine at some point as well, at least one drop. And so, you know, that's going to change potentially, you know, or, or be that kind of translation from, okay, colonies maybe in the air over the eye that then to, you know, actual colonies on the eye. So that might be another interesting kind of thought experiment would be, you know, what would it be like if you put betadine on a plate and then, you know, had 
had airflow directed there, you know, how, how much that, and I think that's been looked at even, you know, how much does that reduce the colony forming units? All great points, thank you. So uh, Paula, back to you, let's talk about uh, bringing these concepts back to our clinic and uh, how did your masking process kind of evolve during the pandemic and what do you currently do? Um, throughout the pandemic, even since March, 2020, if we were seeing patients in clinic, we always mandated, um, when I was both at the University of Colorado and still continued here, every patient coming into our clinic here in um, Greensboro, North Carolina, also still wears a mask that covers their mouth and nose and all providers or staff also wear a mask, whether they think they need to wear either a surgical mask or an N95 mask was left up to the provider. Um, I think um, with these papers and their outcomes, I did think about mandating every in injection patient requiring taping of their masks. However, a lot of my patients are uh, a, a bit older. I do have a lot of older uh, female patients with thin, frail skin. And I, instead of deciding to tape all the way across the top of the mask, I do always reposition a patient's mask over the bridge of their nose so that it's in the appropriate position. And when I do an injection, I'm always um, resting my hand on the bridge of their like, uh, cheek. And so when I do an injection, I steady my hand that way. And in that way, I also press down on their mask so that I inadvertently sort of create like a taping um, sort of simulation and hopefully direct uh, oral flora bacterial dispersion out the bottom parts, parts of their mask. Um, so I don't actually tape all of my patients for intravitreal injections um, currently. And um, I don't know also if some of this information may be a move point with the COVID vaccine and more of us developing herd immunity. If masks aren't mandated, you know, would Ajay or John, would you recommend that if a patient came into your clinic for intravitreal injection, would you provide that patient with a mask and would you tape it in place? Or would you go back to your prior method of a no talking scenario during an intravitreal injection preparation procedure? Yeah, let's, uh, John, what do you do in your clinic and uh, what do you think about all those points? Those are great points. And I, I think things that we're all thinking about, you know, once these kind of mat mask restrictions or mandates kind of change, what's kind of the next next step in things. Currently, um, all our providers wear masks and face shields um, when seeing patients. Um, there is a little bit of flexibility for, um, for providers or um, technicians who have been vaccinated to not wear a face shield, but I think that's very, very new um, in our organization. And then initially we asked all the patients to wear face coverings. However, around I think August or September, we actually gave patients masks to, to wear in clinics. So they would substitute their mask for an over the ears mask. And around the time we had been working on this, so probably June or July, we were just um, universally taping all the masks of patients when they came in. We just found that it was not just helpful from the standpoint of you know, this concern about anophthalmitis, but actually, you know, just for eye exams in general, and even our comprehensive providers, I think, found it helpful when, you know, checking at the foropter, for example, that things were just not fogging up quite as much when the masks were taped. So, you know, I, I think even the original data that had been looked at from providers wearing masks to prevent, um, you know, oral flora from contaminating the, 
this the site did kind of suggest that it was also the patient's flora that you know would also be a potential um you know contaminant which obviously led to the no talk policies and so it may be reasonable to ask some patients to to mask up you know prior to an injection um you know i think with masks being more ubiquitous it might actually be easier to kind of suggest that even if most of the exam you're not wearing a mask just say okay we're going to get you prepped why don't you just put this on and then you know it'll be two minutes and you'll be all set so great ajay what do you do in your clinics so right now, um, everybody's pretty much wearing a mask. We don't wear face shields um, for the most part. Um, there's some people who wear uh, protective goggles. And um, for our patients, they're uh, essentially required to wear a mask. Uh, we almost always tape uh, for the injections. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of different techniques that could be applied to, to create a better seal. Um, we just find the taping is is pretty easy to standardize. And then also for the reasons that John was saying for the examination, it's a lot easier than asking some patients to like hold their breath and things like that um, when you're trying to look at the, the posterior pole. Um, in terms of the future, you know, I think um, at least in our study with the no talking, um, we found pretty similar uh, results with no mask when you're not having something driven to the eye. Um, you know, it's been so hard to mandate patients to wear masks even in the middle of the pandemic. I, I could imagine it's going to be hard even after the end of uh, pandemic to, to have that actually um, move forward. But I think fortunately, since we do have a lot of good data showing that the no talking helps decrease some of that dispersion, I think it's a, a good substitute as long as patients can reliably do it. I will think more about masking and taping patients who or like repeat offenders of the no talking policy. Um, and so it might be a good thing that I'll note down in the chart that, that for this patient, I'm gonna mask them and tape them. Um, I also wanted to thank our study um, folks, uh, Samir, Raza and uh, um, Razi and Atta who did all the, the grunt work to get all the uh, cultures and stuff like that it was super helpful. And so I want to thank them also. All right, great. So uh, from my perspective, uh, I have everybody tape, but sometimes you, you see the tape over here or sometimes the tapes all the way down here. And uh, what I've been doing since pretty much the start of the pandemic, when people were masked, but not taped, I would use a tissue uh, to hold the lids, upper lid and lower lid. Initially, my rationale for that was because before we had technicians hold the lids for us, but we wanted to separate the text from the patients and just, you know, contact between people in clinics as much as possible. So I figured I'll do my own injections, hold the lids, and I just felt the tissues gave good traction. But that lower lid, I would hold the lower lid, but also create a barrier. And it's also helped when, in, when the, the taping is not great. So it's probably something I'm going to continue. I personally like patients being masked and me being masked also, uh, so that I can kind of actually talk a little bit uh, under my N95 to guide them before I would be kind of mean about, you know, you have to be quiet and like be really militant about it, but I kind of don't have to. So I'm kind of enjoying that actually. All right. So, um, all, you know, really great discussion here. Paula, do you have any final thoughts about this topic? No, I just wanted to thank both Ajay and John for putting these papers out there. They were very well thought out. And, you know, I, I commend you for putting this together despite the pandemic and, you know, putting it um, out into the literature. Hey, John, final thoughts? Um, just thanks, guys, for including us. And, you know, we're glad to just have put out something that was um, interesting. So thank you. All right, great. So excellent. 
so thank you so much to uh, Paula, Ajay, and John for their uh, sharing their expertise. And thanks to all the listeners for tuning into New Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. And so please stay tuned for more episodes where we break down very important papers in our field. And listeners can download this podcast and previous ones and future ones wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow New Retina Radio. You can also catch the video version of this uh, podcast on itube.net, uh, a great resource. And please also check out our website at vipbucklesociety.org. There are lots of educational resources on there also. Become a member and please stay tuned for future episodes. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.